0: So, you're going to get this morning sermon, this afternoon, this evening, because you had this evening sermon this morning. I swapped them round. I swapped them round. So if it's alright with the rest of you, I won't mention the coronation again. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians 2. You've had a sermon from me four weeks ago about um, living under the new covenant. Got a sermon from Wendy about living in the fullness of the cross. Got a sermon from Ruth about living what did she have? More or less the same. Freedom. Yeah. Freedom uh, Freedom because of the cross. And I'm my my one tonight is living on the right side of the cross. So James said, more or less the same because that was the cunning plan. <laughs> that all four of them would be the same, but you get four different voices, four different Approaches, I'm only going to have two voices the same, but I promise you it'll be a different approach. I'm not doing Hebrews again from four weeks ago, I'll <laughs> we'll come back into Ephesians. Um, everything that you've heard in those four sermons, I hope you know. If you don't, we'll go back to the drawing board because you know, it's, not, it's not anything you haven't heard before. How many negatives in that sentence? It's it's stuff you have heard before. Make it all positive. But we don't live like it. That's the point. There's that talk I did a couple of weeks before Easter. You know, uh, God loves us, and our sin cannot separate us from God. It stops us experiencing the love, but it can't separate. Otherwise, when we tell people God loves you, and they don't know Him yet, then we're lying. we're saying that sin, you can't be loved by God because of your sin. And we go, God loves you, then we're lying. So God loves them, irrespective of their sin, but they can't experience his love until they've walked into that experience of Jesus dealing with this. And it's the same here. Can you do anything to make God love you more? No. 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 So why do we keep trying? Because <laughs> we do. And why when we mess up? Anybody messed up in the last week? So only a couple of you are perfect, that's fine. (laughs) And let me tell you, the two of you that were perfect, you're lying, which makes you not perfect. (laughs) Even though we know we can't do anything to earn God's love, when we do something wrong, something in our head says, God doesn't love me as much now. Because I've messed up, God doesn't love me as much. We have a theological word for that, which I won't repeat because it's rude. But it means rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. God loves you. God loves you no more the day you become a Christian than the day before you became a Christian. God loves you no more 20 years down the line than he did 20 years before you became a Christian. Hopefully, 20 years down the line, 30 years years down the line, you're actually experiencing the love of God more. That's the point. That you, you, are, you are being transformed. You're walking into holiness. You're walking closer with Jesus. You're walk, and all the rest of it. So living the right... We don't live the right side of the cross. Are there any rules as Christians? They've all gone very quiet and very, very still... That's the noise I can hear. Right? (laughs) Ah, Sorry. Are there any rules? No. No. But that's the wrong side of the cross. There's no rules. It was for where did where did Ruth start last week? It is. She she told me she was going to start in Galatians five one. I assume that's where she did. It is for freedom. You have been set free. No longer to be a yoke to slave. I'm quoting the song now rather than the actual scripture. But that's what happens. Especially if you're a worship leader. Because the songs get in your head quicker than the scriptures do. Whoops. We're free. There are no rules. Now, there's a load of things that we want to do. Because we're loved by God. And because we love him. But they very quickly for us become rules. So as a Christian... Do, don't hit me. As a Christian, do you have to tithe? Come on. Is it a good idea to tithe? Oh yes, because that's obedience to what the, the scriptures say. But you don't have to. Not tithing does not affect your salvation. Should we be feeding the poor and looking after the widows? My team aren't playing today, so I can't blame I can't blame the football. I don't know what that is going on on my phone. Um, we should be doing that, but there's no ought. We do it out of love. We don't do it because we ought to. We do it because we want to. We do it because we're excited about being followers of Jesus. Dangerous territory here. Do you have to come to church on a Sunday? No. Is it a good idea to come to church on a Sunday? Yeah, and if you don't come for a long time, you get out of the habit and you go cold and you uh, bang. Oh, I can do church at home on my own. Yeah, really. Lockdown's done for some people. They're still doing church online, which means they're not doing church. Online was good for filling the gap and was essential. But it's not. doesn't replace face-to-face. We've got to find a way of living in the truth that we believe and not making the truth that we believe become another set of rules. I said this this morning but some of you weren't here this morning. I was talking to Bishop Alan in the week and he said he's met some evangelical evangelicals and he's met some religious evangelicals. And of course Alan comes from How stable, going back. And he said the evangelical evangelicals try to live the scriptures. And the religious evangelicals live by the scriptures. So the religious ones make it a set of rules to live by. And the evangelical evangelicals tend to be those that are trying to live out the scriptures. Not by it, not oughts and shoulds, but just being. He then suggested that most of the evangelical evangelicals you who take the scriptures really serious tend to be charismatics because they're trying to live what's on the page. Anyway, we were, I'm, I'm not making a party point there at all, but fascinating to hear somebody like Alan recognize that difference. For those of you who know Alan, I actually rendered him speechless briefly. <laughs> Don't look so surprised. I told him about Richard and being raised from the dead and him praying for me. You know, so I'm, that I'd met somebody who'd been raised from the dead. About three minutes. (laughs) Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. As Paul pointed out, That finishes on a comma, and it does go on, but it makes also makes sense to stop there. I didn't get him to edit it and take the comma out, you know. It does go on, but that's okay where we are. Look at God's motivation for what He's done for us. It's simple. Because of the rules He'd set Himself. Because of the internal logic of his being, no, it's that four letter word we were using this morning, wasn't it? That everybody seems allergic to love. Because of his great love for us. Did assembly a couple of, was it last week? Was it the week before? Or was it just last week? It was like about three months ago. Um, why did God make us? One of the questions. Because he wanted to love us. Yeah, but is that the real reason? Yes. It's the only reason. He wanted to love us. Why do bad things happen in the world? Because God loves us. Now that caused a few furrowed brows, mainly amongst the staff. <laughs> Until I started to Bad things happen because he loves us so much he gave us free will. So we can choose the wrong things. But why does God want the bad things? No, he doesn't want the bad things to happen. No, he doesn't want the bad things to happen, but we do the bad things. And if he stopped us doing the bad things, he wouldn't love us. But surely he would love us because you stop the people you love doing the bad things. No, you don't. You give them freedom to make choice. Watch a, watch a child make the wrong choices. It's... Gut-wrenching. But you've got to let it happen. Otherwise, I never learn. Because of his great love for us, and because he is rich in mercy. Do you want the Loricode translation of that bit? That word rich, we could translate abundant. And the mercy, the Greek word there for mercy, is the, the equivalent to the Hebrew word hesed which actually means loving kindness. It's not just mercy as in I'm going to strike off what you owe me. It's a loving kindness. It's when that person goes the extra mile and comes and collects you from the airport at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, or whatever it is. They just do the extra thing because they're being kind. Another word that's lost value and currency in modern language. The kindness of God, the loving kindness that does the the extra thing. And it's abundant. Rich in mercy, abundant in loving kindness. I say it's my translation, it's not just mine, but those words can be translated like that. God's motivation, he loves us, he's got that loving kindness and abundance. Therefore, he made us alive with Christ. Christ. Once we'd come in repentance and dealt with all our rubbish. That's what it says, isn't it? What does it say? Even though. Even when we were dead in transgressions. He doesn't wait for us to deal with our sin. He lifts us up so he can deal with our sin. We were dead in our transgressions, but he made you alive. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. Now, I go back, a little reference this morning, to the, you know, to the thief on the cross. I love the fact that the thief on the cross that gets saved is the one that goes, we deserve our punishment. He recognizes they've done, he, he and his friend have done wrong. But he doesn't, notice he doesn't say Sorry. He just recognizes he's done wrong and then turns to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus doesn't, there's no repentance. This isn't how the gospel works, is it? You've got to repent first before you can believe. Hmm. But Jesus doesn't seem to mind because he's taken that recognition. The guy recognizes sin and recognizes how wrong it is. So, okay, you're sorted. You'll be with me, whatever that means, whatever that means. He's made us alive and God, again the Greek there is a bit stronger than it sounds in the NIV, God raised us up, no God has raised us up, it's the past tense. The perfect tense. God has raised us up. It's happened. You are already raised with Christ. That happened the moment you were born again. He has raised us up with Christ and seated us. Remember I was talking this morning about Jesus sitting down in authority. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. You and I are seated in heaven. Not running around with our backside's on fire because we've got to do all these 1500 things to make sure God loves us no we are seated how stationary do you want to be how secure do you want to be unless you're me sitting on a plastic chair in the middle of a township in South Africa that I twisted on slightly and it was relatively comfortable on the floor after that but never mind Note to self: Don't sit on plastic chairs that have been in the sun for a very long period of time. They can't take your weight, Laurie. Never mind. God raised us; has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him. Two little words, but quite important: seated us with Him. So we have been raised, and we are seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Where is that? come on think living in freedom it's all around it's not heaven it's all around he seated us with Christ in the spiritual realms in Christ Jesus god has raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms now within the heavenly realms come on living in freedom 101 where where is jesus in the hierarchy in the spiritual realm Yes? Where is he? At the top. So where are we now in the spiritual realm? At the top. Seated with him. Where are the demons? Underneath us. Where are the angels? Underneath us. Can we command angels? Yes, if God's giving us the instruction to do so. Think about that for a bit. That's for another sermon. <laughs> we'll leave that one for now. He has seated us in the place where we live at the top of the pile, with him, with him. Remember, the sitting down is a sign of his authority. It's a sign of his work complete. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. I'm trying to get you to see a picture of what it looks like living on the other side of the cross. the wrong side of the cross they're trying to keep the Ten Commandments I think it was G.K. Cheston the question was which of the Ten Commandments do you break And he wrote I think it was to the Times or something Said, I don't break the Ten Commandments they break me and that's absolutely right because we can't keep them in our own strength we can't keep them the law came to show us our sin and it's it's wonderful because it shows us sin but it doesn't solve the problem Jesus solves the problem. Not old covenant, but new covenant. And the sign the sign that we are walking in the new covenant is the presence of the Spirit. I'm not going all Pentecostal. I'm not saying there has to be a particular sign. But if the sign that you are living the right side of the cross is the Holy Spirit is present in you. You are born again. It's as simple as that. Well, when do we get the Holy Spirit? The moment you are born again. What about these second blessings? Would well, you know what? I love a second blessing. And a third and a fourth and a fifth and a twelfth and a nineteenth. We go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, says in Ephesians 5 19. We're not filled once, we go on being filled. Not because we leak, that's not true either. You can't leak a person. You know, I can't drive Becky to the football and leave half of her behind. You know, the, the sense of leaking is, is our perception, not the reality. It's our, our experience, again, that leaks, not the reality. of. So when you hear the sermons about, oh, we leak the Holy Spirit, that's why we need to be filled again. <laughs> it's lazy theology, I'm really sorry. It's like, you have to do that little bit of thinking, go, no, no, the Holy Spirit's a person. Therefore, he is with me all the time. Therefore, it's my interaction with him that is amiss not him not being there or my sin pushing him away no it's the whole point of grace and abundant hesed we can't push him away we push our experience away or sometimes walk away we, we can walk but as we did in was it in here walking oh no that was for the school wasn't it we are walking up and down you know if you walk away from God God follows you was it here as well yeah. since I've been back from Cape Town it's all been a bit so excuse me if it's all melded into one mm. does that help with a picture of what it means to be raised yeah So, Colossians 3. Or, instead of so, since. And since you have been raised with Christ. Oh, hang on. That's what we've just been reading about in Ephesians, isn't it? That's why I've connected the two passages. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart... On the things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Hang on. We're seated at the right hand of God with him. But we've got to set our hearts on him. And Paul's now saying above. Paul's recognising the mismatch between the objective reality and the subjective experience. Set your heart, your core, on the reality of where Christ is... Seated at the right hand of the Father. And notice he doesn't say, Set your heart on Christ. What does it say? The things above. It's not sound theology if we don't talk about Jesus all the time, isn't it? Set your heart on the things above, the things of the kingdom. The things of the spiritual reality. Set your heart on prophecy. You eagerly desire the gifts. Desire the gift of prophecy. Eagerly desire to speak in tongues. Look for those things. See angels. Set your heart on those things. Because they are the things of Jesus. Because the presence of the kingdom is the presence of Jesus. By his spirit. Because of the love of the Father. Let's stay Trinitarian, shall we? But set your heart on the things above. Oh, I just, I just looked to Jesus and all the other stuff doesn't matter. It does, otherwise Paul wouldn't have bothered to write about it. I'm sorry. And I can't handle the, well, it all stopped 2,000 years ago. Because, again, why did Paul bother then? Why did Paul, because, what? no, why did the Holy Spirit bother to get Paul to write these things? Because the Holy Spirit would have known they were going to stop. So there's no point in putting the scripture that's going to be with us for the rest of the time. Because what's the point? So we can just look at a passage and go, that's really lovely, isn't it? But it was for then and it's not for now, so we can ignore it. That's not living the scripture. That's making the scripture fit our experience. Which, of course, is what charismatics are accused of all the flipping time. (sighs) But actually, we're trying to live the scripture. I've said for 25, I've been ordained 25 years this year. (laughs) 25 years this year. Don't tell me, I don't look a day over 70, that's fine. And I've said, you show me anything I teach isn't biblical, I'll stop it. Nobody's managed it yet. I've changed my mind on a few things, but nobody's stopped me. Set your heart, your core, where Christ is seated on the right. Then set your minds on the things above. You know, Paul recognises we, you know, we, we've got to think. So set your minds. Be rational about it. Set your minds on the things above, which includes angels and prophecy and tongues and healing and all the stuff of the kingdom and not on earthly things. How worldly. I talked this morning, but I've talked a number of times about being Worldly whole thing around finances and not being worldly it's, it's hard set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you and here's the here's the kicker for you died you do realize you're all dead don't you go and poke the person next to you just to make sure they're dead <laughs> but they're dead you died and your life, hang on Paul, you're confusing me. If I'm dead, how come I've got a life? You're dead and your life is now, and I love this verse, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Anybody get fearful about stuff? Yeah? Our life is hidden with Christ in God. How safe are we? I still miss it. I'm teaching it, but I still miss it. But I'm teaching it. I'm teaching me as much as I'm teaching you. And I love the verse, and I'll repeat it again and again, and i still get frightened in some circumstances. Like watching my wife jump over the edge of her. Mountainside, or come down on a paraglider, and I know full well she's going to do nothing stupid. Well, she married me, so I don't know. But um, did you know what I mean? I trust her. I trust the people. I trust her. But there's an irrational thing in me that says something's going to go wrong here. It's not safe for me to go up there. It's not safe for her to go up there. Not true. Because she's not scared, so it's safe. it is not safe for me because I'm scared so I make it unsafe by being scared going to try and do it weirdly the scared person is more likely to fall off because they're worried about it where the confident person just gets on with it the confident person the confides person the person with faith that's where the word confident comes from you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Of course keep going. When Christ who is your life appears then you will appear with him in glory. Wow. And here we go. Here's the practical stuff. We have we set our hearts and our minds on the things of by we have died and we are in a place of safety. Therefore, here comes the action. Here comes the practicalities of living on the right side of the cross, put to death. Therefore, I love it when Paul. Paul the, the Greek actually, the therefore comes first in the sentence. It's the word "gar," which just means, and, and it's, a, it's a legal thing. It's Paul using his, his jurisprudence from his Pharisee things and all the rest of it. He's going blah 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 blah. Therefore. So, on the back of everything I have just said, the most famous one is Romans 12:1. Therefore, be living sacrifices, and that's Romans 1 to 11. Therefore, be living sacrifices, and here's one here. Therefore, put to death, because remember, you're dead, and of course, it's it's your bios, it's sorry, it's your um, zarks, it's your fleshly life that's dead. It's your sinful life that's dead. And your zoe, your spiritual life, is alive now in Christ. The weird thing is you were dead in your transgressions, but you're now alive. And because you're now alive, you are dead to your transgressions. So you were dead in your transgressions and also dead spiritually. Christ made you alive so you can now be dead to your transgressions and alive to Christ. So I'll say that again. I think I need to say it again, I don't know about the rest of you. So you were dead in your transgressions, so Christ made you alive spiritually so that you can now be dead to your transgressions. Your transgressional life is now dead and alive to Christ. So the bit of you that was acting sinfully and causing you to be spiritually dead is now dead because you are now alive in your spirit. okay it's all perfectly logical put together whatever you know that word whatever means it means whatever yeah. whatever no not like that <laughs> it means what it means every flipping thing it's, it's like everything underlined four times whatever belongs to your earthly nature your sinful nature, your sexual immorality. Tries not to look at anybody. i have preaching that for twenty-five years, I'm not looking at. I'll oh, well, look at you, Chris. That'd be safe, wouldn't it? <laughs> you normally try and find the, the six-year-old is there when you smile. <laughs> sexual immorality, impurity. What does that mean? Oh, a whole load of things. Impure thoughts, impure actions. Is it? It's ethical. It's sexual it's moral it's it's all of it it's impurity anything that is not of god lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry lust and greed and all those things means we're we're hankering after stuff to fulfill us whatever it is when only in christ can be we be fulfilled The chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Because the world still engages in these things, and we see it, judgment's on its way. Next bit. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but you're now dead to. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger. Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. We'll stay here. So, Paul is talking to people he knows are alive in Christ. He knows the old has gone, the new has come. He knows they have been raised with Christ, but he's still saying, rid yourself of these things. Once you're born again, you're not you're perfect in your spirit, but you're not perfect in the way you live. You're holy, but you don't live holy. So rid yourself of these things. And of course, if we've got any of these things in our life, do any of us try not to look at your spouse, if your spouse is oh it's just just you two, try not to look to each other. <laughs> you know, do you ever react in anger to your spouse, to your children? No, even if you can't own any of the rest of them, we can all own the anger somewhere along the line. And when the enemy gets hold of it, it makes it worse. You know? So rid yourself of these things. That's why we do freedom prayer, not because we're weird and trying to find a way of doing perfect inner healing stuff. We're trying to rid ourselves of these things. We're trying to shake off all the hinders. It's, it's a tool that helps. And if it doesn't, don't use it. It's fine. But if it doesn't, you're probably not using it right. Anyway, (laughs) because it does help. It does help. Do not, and I love this thing. Since you've taken off your old self, it's like you're shedding a skin. It's like you're shedding an identity. I remember the the last day my dad was in the army, and the last day he had to make sure his. Dress uniform was right, Dad would have loved being in the band yesterday and hated it, in completely equal measure, because uh, he would have loved doing it, but he would have hated the rehearsals and just, just the whole of it. The stress of doing it. But you know, the last time Dad sorted his bare skin out, and white, he spent hours making all those belts and pouches and stuff white. The white polishy stuff got... Oh, it was horrible. Stack as well but what am I saying the last time he took that off something in him changed because it was the last day he was going to be in the army and he was now no longer Colour Sergeant Clo he was now Mr. Clo and was a full time teacher not a part time teacher part time you weren't supposed to teach when you... anyway never mind <laughs> can't be done anymore he's taking off the old, never again would he have to drive up the Con- Cromwell Road at 8 o'clock in the morning to get to work because he doesn't work there anymore. No longer would he have to do all the stuff that he was doing. You put all your old self off with all its practices. And it's intentional. It's a choice. It doesn't just happen. We have to choose. And you put on the new self... Now, Christ has put that on you, but you have to sort of put it on intentionally. Remember not to say the thing he used to say. Keep going. Thank you. Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, If there's ever a verse that says racism is abhorrent to Christ, this is it. You know? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that you're not from Chesham Boys, you know. Doesn't, honest. You speak with a weird West, West Midlands accent, doesn't matter at all. Sorry, did I say weird? A normal West Midlands accent, sorry. But it doesn't matter. None of it matters. No matter what colour your skin is, doesn't matter what race you're from. It really doesn't. That thing when I hugged Blondie in South Africa that caused a shockwave that an English vicar would hug a black ex con. I wasn't an English vicar hugging a black ex con. There was a brother and sister in Christ greeting each other. That's all of course I hug her. But the worldliness gets in and it's shocking. And we put on, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, we clothe ourselves. It's a conscious thing. When I get up in the morning, I've discovered that if I just stand there, I don't get dressed. I learned as quite a young person that I needed to put clothes on. Because I went out without clothes. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Do you recognize these words? Are these the fruit of the Spirit? Funny that, because Paul wrote both lists. Anyway, Paul's doing the same thing. We, and we choose to be. Not, I'm not being compassionate and kind and humble and gentle because it's going to earn me Pharisee points with God. I'm doing those things because they're my clothes. They're who I am now. Most of the time. But it's about doing it in practice. Keep going. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it when Christians have things between them. Because it just denies their forgiveness in Christ. And I know people do horrible things to each other. And I know that. But we can forgive someone without saying what they did was right. We can forgive someone without justifying what's happened. I come back to the old thing. You don't forgive someone, you're the one that's drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. It's not going to happen. The only person it's going to affect is you. Forgive us the Lord forgave you over all these virtues. Here we go. He's given, it's a bit of a list isn't it and he says well I can trump it all love it binds them all together in perfect unity let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to shalom Greek equivalent shalom, wholeness not just peace but wholeness that's why we're doing that's why we're moving here that's why the Beaconites are going okay enough's enough we, we can't be one in the beacon, so we'll be one here. And we're willing to sacrifice and give up so that we can be one. I got my first pushback this morning about the fact that the 10.30 service is not going to be traditional. My first... No, actually, those of us coming from the beacon have given up a lot to come here. Oh, no, you haven't. You've... You're saving us money, you're doing this. No, that's not the reason we're doing it. We're doing it for unity. Fifteen quid a month helps, but we are doing it for unity. We might be able to pay our parish share next year, you know. You know me, I'd pay it anyway. I'd pay it anyway. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since his members of one and be thankful. There's a bit more, isn't there? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, abundantly, as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's never practical, is he? No, he's not saying this is how you should deal with the internet. He wouldn't know what it was. He's not saying this is how you should deal with this, that, and the next thing. He's saying here are the attitudes. Here's the way of thinking. Here's the way of speaking. Here's the way of acting. Now, grow up. Apply these things into your situation. Because he's talking here to people who are slave owners, who are business people, who are soldiers, who are uh, Romans, who are Jewish, who are um, slaves, who are Scythians, who are all those things he's listed before. And he's saying, here are the principles. And you all get to play, and you all have the same things you choose from. And here's the last thing. Have a thankful heart. That is, being British, that's the hardest one. I just see it around us. I'm I'm not saying you, or you, or you. The atmosphere around us is just to moan. We're never satisfied. Have you had a good weekend? Have you had a good weekend? Yeah, it was all right. That means it was really good. <laughs> but we, we negativise everything. Is that a word? Probably. For we make everything negative. We just... And if you're a born optimist, it's half depressing to hear negative all the time and you become do you know what's the problem with a born optimist hearing negativity all the time when they flip they go right the other way and they go from optimism to complete depression been there because that's what you do because you're an optimist, you're extreme come on, it's okay, come on, let's go come on, come on, come on, come on. When, you, when you go, you go Say something personal, yeah? and when you're a fat man as well, you're always a fat, jolly man, so there's never any room for anybody else to see that you might be depressed. I'm not now, I'm not at the moment, I don't need saving, but he's always upbeat, he's always jolly. Oh, jolly fat man, it's out there, but when it hits, it's the worst, which is why I can understand. And I can emphasize. How do you live? You choose. You choose to clothe yourself with the fruit of the Spirit. You choose to teach and admonish through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit with gratitude in your heart. How do you live? On the right side of the cross. You put to death the old self. You clothe yourself primarily in love. Then you allow the peace of Christ, the message of Christ to dwell in you. And you live with thanksgiving in your heart. If they ain't practical ways of living from the right side of the cross, I can't think of a suitable phrase to say, then I've gone bonkers. That'll do.